Listen, y'all, welcome to Epiphany Church Launch Sunday. I am, uh, I get to serve, my name is Brandon Watts. I get to serve here as the lead pastor of Epiphany Church. And it has been, even when I watch this video, just amazed and, and in awe of how the Lord built his church. You know, Matthew 16, it, Jesus is so clear when he says, I will build my church. I mean, he doesn't say he's building our church. He doesn't even give us the privilege of building his church. He's so clear that it's his church and he's building it. When I look at this video and think about the faithfulness of our God, uh, I just have been meditating on his faithfulness through the Psalms. And I'm just grateful, like looking at this room and how, seeing how things have come together. Y'all have no clue of what was happening this morning when we were running around, couldn't get in the building, uh, and to see how the Lord brought this to pass has been great. It's been a real joy. Uh, Gabe said it earlier, our mission statement, we solely believe, can you guys hear me okay? All right. We solely believe that we exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. Uh, the, the thing that gets lost within that that, uh, that mission statement is that it's his city and the complexity of this city. There's 2.6 million people that live in Brooklyn, 2.6. And in this neighborhood that you're in, uh, Bed-Stuy, we call it, uh, it's Bedford-Stuyvesant, for short we call it Bed-Stuy, 176,000 people live in this neighborhood. And it's not even like a huge piece of land. It's only 2.7 square miles. So if you do the math on that, 176,000 people with 2.7 square miles, that's about 58,000 people person per square mile. Like, think about the density of that. You literally can get on the train stop at the Nostrand Avenue stop, take it one train stop to Utica, one minute ride, but you'll have passed at least 50,000 people. And so, when you think about the complexity of the city, only Jesus can plant a church here. Like, it's crazy to me to think that we're planting a church here. Uh, but God has been faithful. L listen, I want to publicly express my gratitude and thanksgiving for a few people. First, thank all of you for coming today. Those of you who are visitors, we are honored to have you here, a part of our church. So if you can give yourselves a hand. Just want to publicly acknowledge all of our volunteers. We have so many volunteers that have really put their, their hands to the plow. I mean, yesterday, it was a crew here literally all day yesterday that was kind of setting things up. We came in here, and it was nothing set up. And so a uh, team came in and built lights and put stuff in, and it's just been great to see this thing come together. So I just want to thank all of our volunteers, those that are serving up there, the kids. and. I don't want to start to name a lot of people, but I do have to say uh, just a big shout out to Gabe, who was up here doing the announcements. He literally, yeah, let's thank God for him. Literally took the week off to do uh, church plant stuff and running around and doing stuff. I mean, literally called me up, what's on your plate? Let me take it off so that you can just focus on what you need to do. And, and, and I'm just grateful for people like that, him and, and his wife, uh, both. She took a couple days off, too. So grateful for them. Our partners are here. Some of our partners are here. Anybody that's a partner, if you're a representation from a church that's a partner with Epiphany, fellow, with Epiphany Church, can you just raise your hand? Anybody that's a partner? Can we thank God for our partners? There are, there are folks that have come from all over, uh, from, from Vegas and from 
North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, Apex, North Carolina, and just grateful for all of our partners. Uh, just a few more people I just want to announce. Is Brent Storms here? Brent, can we thank God for, for Brent? He's uh, it, it would be hard to let this day go by without thanking God for, for Brent. He is the president of Orchard Group, which is a church plant network here in New York. Really, I mean, planting churches all over. Um, and just a faithful brother to planting churches and real mentor for me. So I'm grateful for him. Steve Cantor is here as well. Thank God for Steve. Steve is, uh, Steve is a, a, another denomination network we're a part of. It, it's called NAM, North American Mission Board, and he uh, just sits on our management team. He has like 15 titles, so I'm not going to start going through his titles, uh, but I'm grateful for him as well. Uh, Dr. Paul Tripp is with us today. Amen. Thankful for him and his, his lovely wife being with us today. Any married couple in here? Uh, that is either going through premarital counseling, postmarital counseling. Uh, you should go up and say uh, hi to Dr. Tripp because we, I mean, I have made it a rule. I will not marry you unless you have read What Did You Expect by Dr. Tripp. And I'm so serious when I say that. You, you, you got to read 1 Peter 5, you got to read Ephesians 5, you got to read Dr. Tripp's book. It's just that simple for me. Uh, We're we just not going to walk you down the aisle. Um, but I'm grateful for, for them being with us. Uh, my parents, I, I can't say enough about my parents. They are, and I have to get through these real quick before we get in the text. My parents have, uh, they're members of the church, so I can't even say visitors. Uh, so can we just thank God for my parents? It's, it's amazing. It's amazing to me, like, seeing my father. When I was a kid, he used to sit me and my brother down. My brother's here, too. He used to sit me and my brother down, and he, he's an old Baptist preacher, traditional black Baptist church preacher. He would sit me and my brother down, and he would literally go through his whole sermon while we sat there. I had no clue what the Lord was doing within those times. Um, but it's amazing how the Lord reversed it. Now he sits uh, on the front row with his pad and pen out and taking notes, and it's, it's just crazy to see and my mother running around in the kids' space and, you know, working in children's ministry, it's been, it's been great. You know, we're at a season now in our life where they can send me to my room, but I can put them on church discipline. So, you know, I'm, I'm just saying I'll exercise that authority if I have to. I will exercise it. My in-laws are here, too. My, my Ty's parents, the Mr. and uh, Mrs. Gott. Can we thank God for my in-laws? Grateful for them. Such a great example for us. Can y'all help me thank God for Ty, my wife? Ain't she cute today with her little hat on and everything? Uh, I'm grateful for, for Ty. In, in the, one of the things that gets lost within church planning is... Uh, the, the, the wife as the hero. I mean, y'all have no clue the sacrifice that she's made. I'm talking vision nights. She's running around trying to get things together. She's also uh, cooking, preparing, hosting people. And she has done it and just made it so, so easy, taking the load. Uh, days when I wanted to quit, I was done, ready to quit. And Ty encouraged me. So I, I am grateful for her. There, there's two things that Ty told me that I had to do when it came to church planting three years ago when we were talking about this. She said, the boys have to be in a good school. 
and the Lord provided and has done that every move we've made. The second thing she asked for, she said, you got to get me some rose petals to walk on. And so I got some roses today that I wanted to give to Ty. The rose petals is at home leading in the, never mind. Well, <laughs> come on now. Hey Amen. But seriously, I'm, I'm grateful for, for Ty. I love you and, and thank you for, uh, for, for just all you do. You are absolutely my best friend, hands down. So I'm grateful for you. My pastor and my spiritual father, Dr. Mason, is with us, y'all. <laughs> by, by far the most influential person for me as it relates to, to ministry. I mean, literally, just, I can't even explain how in 2010 when I walked into Epiphany Fellowship. By the way, do y'all have anybody in Epiphany Fellowship in Philly today at all? Like, y'all are all up in here. But when I walked in, I'll never forget March. It was March of uh, 2010 when I walked into Epiphany Fellowship. Broken, confused, had no clue, didn't know if I was going to stay. Um, but as soon as we walked in, I mean, that, there's a few times in life where I, I'm like, man, I know the Lord spoke. And that was one of them when he said, go to Epiphany Fellowship in Philly and, and submit to this man's leadership. And it has been absolutely, uh, I mean, unbelievable for me. Dr. Mason, in many ways, I mean, beyond mentor, has taught me so much stuff, literally how to preach. He used to give me opportunities in Philly to, to preach and then He'd sit on the front row and take a bunch of notes. And in my mind, I'm like, yo, I'm killing it. Dr. Mason is taking notes. And then that Tuesday, I sit in his office. He pull out that book. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, you got to do this. And you got to trust the Bible here. You went off on somewhere else. And so it's just been amazing. This day, and I mean this wholeheartedly, this day would have not come to pass if the Lord did not use a Dr. Mason in my life. And... If, if you guys don't mind, before I dig into the text, and that's why we're here, before we jump in, I'd love to give him a few minutes just to come up and, and give us a charge and, and talk to us for a few minutes. So can you welcome Dr. Can you welcome Dr. Mason? Sir, I still submit. Stay near, stay near. Okay. Good morning. I don't want to say much. Jesus is king, right? Yeah. Oh, that, that, that wasn't enough. Jesus is king, right? Yeah. Um, let me just say real quick, this whole thing is about him and his mission of this church, this leader, these group of people joining uh, God and what God is already doing. Real quick, Epiphany Philly, will you stand up real quick and just say hi to everybody? Hi, say hi to everybody. Amen. You guys can be seated. Amen. I'm excited, blown away by the volunteers, blown away by you guys coring up and connecting. Paul can't do what he did without a missions team. And so let's pray for him as he preaches the word. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our pathway. Speak to us, O oh God, through your word. Strengthen us as Pastor Brandon uh, communicates enthralled by your word, enthralled by your gospel. Fill him with your spirit. Make your name known through him. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen. 
All right, Matthew chapter 28. Let's open up whatever device you have, your, your Bibles, whatever you have. If you could just open your word to Matthew chapter 28. I, I love to uh, preach for a few moments on the topic of the mission of the church. I think it's an appropriate topic today as we are launching our church to preach on what the mission of this church uh, actually is. Matthew chapter 28 has been foundational for our church. I mean, literally has shaped our vision, literally has uh, really influenced how we spend money, how we make decisions, how we invest time. I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to Matthew chapter 28 as it relates to the Great Commission, just a a powerful uh, passage, uh, which really is a command to the church. So I'd love to read it, pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in. Uh, verse number 16, Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, and when Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the ages. Love to spend a few moments to talking about the mission of the church, the mission of the church. Let's pray. Father, I am uh, grateful for your presence being here. We realized this morning that, I mean, we can't do anything without your, your spirit moving in this place. I can't communicate. I can't preach. We can't hear without you, and we pray that you would move upon all of us uh, right now. Thank you, Lord, for these, our, our, fam our family, our friends, our partners, all gathering to celebrate the launch. But the truth of the matter is we come for the centrality of the word and hearing about Jesus Christ, the hero of the word. Would you meet us today? Help us uh, be obedient to James 1.22 today. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Bless our time. In Christ's name, we give glory and honor. Amen. Listen, 1879, a chemist by the name of Dr. Joseph uh, Lawrence set out to create a product that's probably sitting on many of our counters, our, our uh, bathroom counters right now, our bathroom sinks. And that product that he went out to create was called Listerine. Anybody Listerine in here? I know we got some scopes in here, but Listerine I'm talking about today. He invented Listerine 133 years ago, but... When it was originally invented, the product was not invented as a mouthwash. It was actually invented as a surgical antiseptic. Y'all didn't know that, right? Dropping some knowledge on y'all today. Later it was, was transitioned and repurposed to be used as a fungus foot fighter, so you would literally soak your feet in Listerine for athlete's foot. I'm dead serious. Later, it was repurposed to soften corns, and in the 1920s, it got its most lucrative use, and that is a germ-killing mouthwash. I mean, literally has won oral care product of the year several times. But it became successful not based on the original intent, but it became successful after being repurposed a few times. Same thing with Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was not originally invented as a soft drink. It actually was invented by a guy named John Pemberton as an alternative to morphine addiction. And so when you would have a morphine addiction, in fact, the, the creator actually suffered from this addiction. And so he created 
this soft drink to curb, this sugary soft drink to curb the addiction. The reason why I brought both of these up, both Listerine and Coca-Cola both became widely successful. Fortune 500 companies brought billions of dollars in over the year, not based on its original uh, intent, but based on the fact that it was repurposed. My fear, even when I think about the launch of our church today, my fear today is that we would read the Word of God, read what Jesus has commanded to the church, walk away and repurpose the church. Walk away and try to say, man, let's, let's try to figure out how can we can make this thing more successful. And likewise, when you look at many churches today and you, you see successful churches, they're successful. Many of them are successful in man's eyes. My question to us is, how are we doing with obeying what Jesus has commanded the church. There's two things I want you to notice about this verse before we walk through it line by line. The first is, this is a command. Jesus isn't suggesting anything here. He's not saying this is a good idea. He's not saying you should do this. Jesus is saying this is a requirement for the church. Second thing I want you to notice, it's a requirement for the church. This is not for isolated individuals. But this is for a corporate body. Once you are baptized into the body of Jesus Christ, you flesh that out through the local church. This is a command for us, for the entire body. And so I, I'd like to act like we're on an island today, act like we don't have any church experience. We don't, have, we don't know what Americanized church is. All we have is this word and to go start a church. Like, let's act like that today. And my prayer is that we would launch our church based off of what the Bible has to say. Let's see what it says. Here. Verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, look at the emotions divided here. Some worshipped, but some doubted. It's amazing to me that Matthew decides to point out that some people doubted. Like, if I'm, if I'm about to start a worldwide ministry, and I'm Matthew, I'm probably going to leave out the fact that some of our boys doubt it. Right? This sounds like a shaky way to start a ministry. Jesus started the ministry. See, he doesn't choose like we choose. It's, Jesus didn't see the ones that doubt it and said, you know what? I'm going to excuse them. Let's move them out the way. Let me just give this command to those that are worshiping. No, Jesus gave the command to the church to both sets of people. Both emotions are right there up front. Let me just point out that this doubting doesn't mean unbelief. This is indecision or hesitation. Only two times in the whole Bible, in the New Testament, do you see this word doubted. The first one is here, and the other one is Peter is walking on the water, and Jesus says to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Clearly, Peter didn't doubt that he was Jesus. He was hesitant. And so this, this hesitation we see here is amazing to me because Jesus still gives the command to both of them. Let me tell you why I rejoice when I read this. I rejoice because this shows us something so important about Jesus, and that is that he chose to use weak and feeble and sometimey people to carry on his mission. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you're sitting in here. Maybe you think that you are, like, killing it. Maybe you think that you are stellar. The truth of the matter is I fit within the group that is doubting. I'm the one that's weak. Have you ever considered the verse that says he uses the foolish thing to confound the wise? Have you ever considered that you're the foolish thing that he uses to confound the wise? 
every week, every single week when people walk into our Bible studies, I'm always amazed. I'm always scratching my head in shock that he would use me to open up this word to communicate it to. So even in this moment, like I should be sitting down right now taking notes. Dr. Mason should be preaching. Dr. Tripp should be up here. I should be taking notes. I'm blown away that you guys are sitting here while I get to open this word. It's, only, it's not because of anything great I've done. It's because God uses weak people to communicate his word. And so this seems like a shaky way, shaky way to start a ministry that's literally going to take the whole world by storm. But Jesus still chooses to use these people. And the great thing about this, our, our Lord's occupation in using people he, he still is using weak and feeble people. Last week, we're going through the book of Colossians. And last week, I told our, our church that, that Paul uses this, this phrase that's used over and over again in the Old Testament. But he uses this phrase to describe the Colossian church. He says, God's chosen people. You know, it's amazing the people that God chooses to use. The people that's in this crowd, God is used. Jesus is choosing to use. I used to go to the basketball court when I was a a young boy, and you, you know how we do. The team that wins stays on the court, right? And so when you come up to the court, you call next. Well, how I chose my team, I usually looked at the players that were losing, and I would be like, I want him on the team because he has skills. He can bring, and I wasn't that good, so I had to get really good people to be on the team. I, I would look at somebody else and say, man, I want him. I want, I want him because they're bringing something to the team. Jesus doesn't choose like that. Jesus looks at the bench and says, I want them. Like the dude with the thing on his head, with his socks up, you know, the little teeny weeny shorts. That's the dude that Jesus chooses to use. The nerd, the one that we would look over, Jesus chooses to use. And so in this passage, don't miss the context. Both are there on this mountain, and Jesus is now giving his command to the church to weak people. All he has, they don't have buildings, they don't have programs, they don't have a marketing budget. All they have is a command from Jesus, some worshipers, and some people that are doubting. Now, I, I'm not, now, the one that's doubting, as we're starting this church, I'm not going to put that dude in leadership. That's just me. But Jesus says, I'm going to give this command to them as well. Let's keep going. Now, verse 18 is, is so critical. And here's why verse 18 is critical. If verse 18 is not true, there's no way possible we can actually do verse 19 and 20. Absolutely no way, because I told you guys this is a command to the church, but Jesus starts the command to the church, not with telling us to do anything, but starts the command to the church with a claim. And the command that he gives rests on the claim that he makes. Look at what he says in verse number 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus just claimed all authority. If Jesus is claiming all authority, can we be honest that we don't have any authority? We have no authority. I just gave Ty 12 roses. If I took one of those roses out and put it up here, she can no longer claim that she has all of the roses. Jesus, he's not, he's not divided in his authority. He doesn't have 90% authority and pastors have 10%. He doesn't have 50% authority and the Pope have 50 he has 100% authority, 100%. And so in order to understand the command that Jesus is about to give, we have to understand the authority that Jesus has. 
Our king has authority. And the reason he doesn't divide his authority is because we would, we would abuse the authority. We would abuse the authority. But look how Jesus exercises his authority. Luke chapter 5, don't turn to it. Luke chapter 5 tells us that Jesus has authority to forgive sin. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, he has authority to mediate on behalf of the Father. First, uh, John chapter 14, he has authority to send the Holy Spirit. John chapter 10, he has authority to give eternal life to whomever he chooses. And lastly, John chapter 6, he has authority to raise us up on the last day. Our king has authority. He's not weak. He's not, sitting, he's not an old man sitting on the, on the throne with a gray beard that has a cane and is crippled. Our king has authority. But don't just rejoice over the fact that Jesus has authority. Rejoice at the sphere of his authority. Look at what the text says. It says, all authority in heaven. That's all of the angelic world. That's, that's, eight, that's Gabriel. That's the archangel Michael. That's a host of angels. But that's not, just the, that's not just the obedient angels. But Revelation 12 shows us that Satan himself was an angel. So in other words, Jesus is claiming authority even over the demonic world. He has authority even over the demonic world. We see him exercise his authority in places like Luke chapter 4. Remember he's walking up on a, on a demon, and on a man that's possessed, and he's about to cast out the demon. What does the demon say? He says, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And two verses later, the crowd then says, man, this man he has authority even over the demon, even over demons. And so our king has authority. And so it, it, he, he's claiming something that nobody else has. Nobody else has this authority. But notice the sphere. He doesn't just have authority in heaven. Look at the verse. He has authority on earth. That's everything we can see. Everything your eye can see, the chair that you're sitting on, the coffee you sipped on this morning, everything is under the, the control and authority of Jesus Christ. Now, this gives me joy as a church plant or pastor here in Bed-Stuy. You know, even, it's gentrifying. We never had wine shops and, and coffee shops in Bed-Stuy, so it's gentrifying. But at the same rate, I don't know if you guys know this, but the crime rate in, in the subways went up 6% over the last year. Literally two uh, train stops away, somebody walks into the Utica stop and shoots two people. Now, I can look at that. I can read that story, and I can be fearful, or I can rest in the fact that Jesus claimed authority, even in Bed-Stuy, where we're planting a church right now. So it's good, it's good news for us. And so Jesus claimed something that nobody else... This is why, see, I don't know if you guys know that the Kingdom Hall, Jehovah's Witness, the headquarters is in Dumbo, Brooklyn. It's right here in Brooklyn where they make the watchtowers, literally around the corner from where we meet right now. It's a kingdom hall, and we often run into conversations with them. If they read this text, they'll tell you, man, Jesus doesn't have authority. Jesus is just a prophet. But please tell me what prophet ever claimed this type of authority. No prophet ever claimed to have authority over heaven and on earth. And so the, the, the command that Jesus gives us as a church starts with us embracing the claim that he makes. All authority has been given to him. Let's keep going to see what else he says. In verse 19, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples. Notice he does not tell us to make converts. That's not our job. Our job is not to not convert anybody. Conversions is up to the Lord. We don't save 
anybody. We preach the gospel. Jesus opens blinded eyes. He makes dead hearts alive. Our job is to disciple who Jesus makes. Now, listen to me. If we're not, I tell our church all the time, if we're not going to be about seriously making disciples, let's not plan a church. Like, take all this stuff down. Take them flags off. Like, let's not, let's open a Chick-fil-A. I'm, it's, it, we got two Chick-fil-A's in New York, and, and I'm a little tired of going to Manhattan to get a, a number seven with cheese. I'm just saying. Let's, let's shut it down. But if we're going to obey what Jesus is telling us, he's telling us to make disciples. We take this process very seriously. This is, a sci- this is our assignment as a church. And this, is not, this call to make disciples isn't to a select few. It's to the entire church. And so all of us in here should be in two types of processes as it relates to, to discipleship. We should be being discipled and we should be discipling in every season of life. There never should be a season in life where you're not discipling. But look at the first word that Jesus gives us as it relates to the command in verse number 19. Go. This can be translated as as you are going. As you're going, you need to be making disciples. Listen to me, Epiphany Church, as we are launching today, one of my prayers this week, one of the things I've prayed over and over again is that we would not be a church that launches and then gets ingrown but that we would be a church that is faithful to being out. This command here does not say that the world should come to the church. This command here shows us that the church must go to the world. We must be a people that are going out. My pastor is here today, and he always tells us, listen, man, don't be a puddle, man. You've got to be a pipeline. And so we will not measure our success as a church as filling seats. My greatest hope is to see you get out that seat and get you out in the world and living on mission. Go. As you are going, make disciples. And so Epiphany Church, as you were hearing me today, let's not do, let's not do that. Just get huddled up in here. That's not the goal. If you're just looking for Sunday mornings, this church isn't for you. Sunday mornings is a picture into the church. It's a little window into the church. We should be about going out. Your neighbors should know. Do your neighbors even know that you're a believer? The people that you're in contact with, the people that you are meet at the grocery store, the people at the coffee shop, do they know that you actually worship Jesus? Or do you take down your Christianity because you want to fit in? You want to be relevant? We must be a people that are going and we should be making disciples. Look at what else he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I love this. Baptizing them. And so now he shows us that baptism, now this is, the, the, our stance as a, as a church is, we, we don't believe baptism saves you. Jesus saves us, but baptism is a natural response to being saved. And so as soon as we get baptized, look at the Ethiopian eunuch. As soon as he gets baptized, verse 35, as uh, soon as he gets saved, verse 35, verse 36, he gets baptized. I mean, he, there was no baptism class. He looks, he gets saved. He says, where's water? And so there's a connection between being saved and baptism. And so the inference that Jesus, the unspoken inference that Jesus is showing us in this text is that we must build our churches off of lost people, people that do not know Jesus. That's what we must build our churches off of. Listen to me. We cannot fulfill the Great Commission by sheep stealing. We cannot fulfill the Great Commission by transferred growth. Do you know in America... 70%, this rocks me, 70% of church growth 
grows by transferred growth. One person leaving one church and coming to another, and yes, you'll have that, and we have that here, but the truth of the matter is if we're going to build our church, we must build it off of people that do not know Jesus. Let's not focus on stealing the next person to come to this church. Let's focus on getting a dude that's off the block that's smoking weed. Let's get that dude in here, and don't change him. Right? Let's not, let's not try to make him look like us, make him put on a suit, make him think a certain way. Let him be authentically who he is, filled with the Spirit. Get back on that block. Back on that block and change that block. And so we must be a people that are serious about conversions. We cannot build this church off of cool websites and logos. That's not what we can't be about that. We have to be about being serious about the work that Jesus commands us to do. Let's keep going. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 20 is great because I've really tried to build the church off of what verse 20 says. The first word, teaching them. And so in order, one of the things he's saying that is a command for the church is that the church must have healthy, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving teaching. That's why, I mean, people laughed at me. The first flyer I created for our church was a Bible study flyer. And the first, it had, I don't know if you saw it, it had Bible study biggest day on it. People were like, man, you're not going to get non-believers to come to the church. Truth is, every single week we've seen people come in. We've just been up front. This is what we're doing. We're not building. And you can build a church off of events and social media. We can, you can literally build a church off of that. But Jesus shows us here we must build the church differently. We must build the church off of the teaching of the Word of God. But let's not just rejoice at the teaching. Jesus also shows us here the importance of not selectively teaching. Look at what he says. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And so Jesus doesn't tell us here to teach what we feel like teaching. That is exactly why we are going through the entire book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 3 by the end of April. Last Sunday in April, we'll be done with the book of Colossians. The reason we go through the entire thing is because it doesn't give me the ability to skip over what I want to skip over. Jesus doesn't just say teach. He says teach all that I've commanded. I would love at the end of my time, I don't know how long the Lord will give me to serve as the lead pastor here, But if he gives me, I'm praying for 35 years, I'll be 65, 70 years old. You know, you can say some stuff at that age that I can't say right now. Because y'all will be like, what is he talking about? But when I'm old, I can say it. My my greatest hope is that I would be able to uh, be like Paul says in Acts chapter 20, when he says, I didn't shrink away from teaching the entire council. I want to teach all of what Jesus has to say. And so selective teaching is dangerous and Jesus commands us not to do it. He says, teach all that I've commanded. But he doesn't just tell us to teach us, just to teach to memorize Scripture. He doesn't tell us just to teach, just to get you to know a bunch of Bible. He shows us that the goal of teaching is for application, for you to do something. Look at what he says. Teaching them to observe. Teach them to obey. I don't care how much Scripture you memorize I don't care how deep you think you are. The first question when I approach the text is not, what does the text say? The first question we should be saying is, how can I obey it? And so the teaching that that Jesus is commanding us to do is not teaching that's just 
purely academic. Yes, it should stimulate your mind, but the teaching that he wants us, the church, the command to the church to do is teaching that teaches people to obey what Jesus is telling us. You're not wise because you know a bunch. You're wise because you do a bunch with what you know. And so that's what Jesus is commanding us. That's what Jesus is commanding us to do. He's commanding us not to be selective in our teaching. All scripture, right? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. All of it, and it's profitable for teaching and for, re- and for reproof and for instructions in righteousness. We had a couple of girls that used to come to our church. They used to go to a, a church, um, it's like a spiritual center, and they welcome all different types of religions. And I went on their website, and they had like five different authoritative books, and one of them was a book on poems. I'm like, you teach and preach from a book on poems? The thing we teach week in and week out is this word. Teach nothing else. If I ever walk, I told our church, if I ever walk in here and don't have this and say, man, let me just talk to you guys today. Everybody leave. I'm, I'm so serious. Everybody leave because the church should be faithful to the teaching uh, of the scriptures and the teaching of the scriptures point us to Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. I rejoice at this Epiphany Church. As we launch our church today, notice what Jesus is showing us here. We're not launching our church by ourselves. Jesus says, I'm with you. But he did, I could, if he just said, I'm with you, I would be good with that. But he doesn't just say, I'm with you. He shows us the consistency and perpetual nature of him being with us. He says, I'm with you always. And so we don't evangelize alone, we don't teach alone, we don't hear alone, we don't gather alone. We gather knowing that Jesus is with us always. We can only rejoice at this claim because of the cross. The cross has made it possible for us to gather. We don't have to hide in closets to talk about the Word of God. We can openly come in here and rejoice and talk and teach about Jesus Christ. And so my hope and prayer today is that We would be a church, and we would be a people that are serious about what Jesus is commanding the church. Let's not be Listerine 33 years from now. Let's not be Coca-Cola and try to fix things and try to make it culturally relevant. The Bible's always relevant. Let's just be faithful to that. Let's pray. Father, I am, man, I'm, I'm rocked at the fact that you don't leave us to try to fend for ourselves. You don't leave us to try to figure this thing out for ourselves. But you, with your faithfulness, have committed to being with us always. Father, we rejoice at the fact that there's never a moment that you're not with us. And so today, as we launch our church, we are celebrating this moment. We are grateful that we have gotten to a place where we can launch a church It's amazing how faithful you've been to your own church. Father, I pray that we wouldn't read the command that you've given the church and walk away and do nothing with it. Walk away and try to repurpose it and make it more cool and make it more relevant. Father, let us just be faithful to what you've commanded us to do. You've given us clear instructions, and I pray that that today we would walk away with our hearts rejoicing over your church. We're grateful for Epiphany Church, but Father, even greater than Epiphany Church, I'm grateful for your mission. 
Our church doesn't necessarily have a mission. Your mission has a church. And we're just joining in something that you've been doing for years and years and years and years. And you will do it until you come back for us. And we're grateful. May the gospel rip our hearts today. May, us, may, may we not lean on our own righteousness. Many of us today, maybe we don't even know you. Father, I pray for that person that doesn't know you. That person that's not a part of the local church because they're not a part of your universal church. Would you bring that person to a real understanding that their righteousness is found in Jesus Christ? And today I pray that as we launch and walk away, I pray that years from now we would be able to reflect on Matthew 28 and say that you have been faithful to us. Father, we thank you for this time. And as we prepare to take communion and get out of here, we pray that, I just pray that your spirit would continue to hover over us. It's in Christ's name we pray.